Okay. Great to see everyone this morning. Um, according to the original rotation, Lenny would have been up today, but there's two reasons he's not here. The first is that he and Sharon had the opportunity to go away uh, to a couples conference. Um, so we knew he wasn't going to be here anyway, but then for those of you who haven't heard yet, um, they had to come back early because Sharon's not feeling well at all. So she did go to the hospital. They said they didn't really see anything specifically wrong, but uh, we obviously want to lift her up in prayer, her and Lenny and the family, because uh, God knows what's wrong. He knows what she needs, and hopefully by the time the Sunday school's over, we're already getting a good report on how she's feeling. Uh, but so I have the honor of sharing with you. We'll open with prayer, and we'll dive into the second part of Corinthians 10. Lord, we do thank you. Uh, just a couple days ago, Lenny and Sharon took off for Virginia Beach. They had no idea what was awaiting them. Um, neither did we. Lord, <laughs> the fact that I'm sitting here right now is only because you have me sitting here, because you gave me the health and the strength and the provision and the safety and everything. Lord, I know I take that for granted. I know I do. I can't possibly be the only person in here that feels that way. We do stop and thank you. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your love. We thank you for everything. Lord, I, I know we're just sheep. I know we, we, we can only touch the surface of what you do for us, but that surface is enough for us to be eternally grateful, eternally humbled, eternally bowing before you. Lord, not just because you're God, that, that right away all of creation will bow before you, but you're our Father. You, you love us. You care for us. We know you care for Sharon. We know that you have gotten her through so much already. Lord, uh, She is a, a walking testament to your healing and your grace and, and your mercy, and we pray that again. Lord, I'm, I'm, am I glad they didn't find anything? I, I guess so, yes. Thank you for that, that there's nothing obviously wrong, but as the perfect physician, Lord, if you can just... Uh, let them figure out what is going on. Lord, I pray that for so many in our body. Lord, some who know what's wrong and then need your healing touch and others who, who don't and need some wisdom and some guidance as to how to deal with it. Lord, we know these physical things are, are temporary. We know that. We know for eternity they will not even enter our mind. We will be in perfect bodies in your presence. But until um, we're there, you've given us these bodies. I do pray that we take the best care of them that we can and thank you that they are made to heal themselves. And um, Lord, we come to you. You tell us to cast our cares on you and that's what we're doing, not just for Lenny and Sharon and the Lucci family, but for each one of us, Lord, that are either going through something or aren't. And, and, uh, and we need to be thankful for you that we're not and, and not take that for granted. Uh, so we do pray for this time now, Lord, this whole series of passages here, Lord, have been so much just about what we know as opposed to what we should be doing with what we know, and I thank you that I'm in a church that knows, Lord, that uh, the vast majority of us here do spend time in your word and, and do know what it says, but Lord, we know that knowledge puffs up, and I pray that you speak to our hearts even more than our minds, Lord, that we not only see what it says, but that we hear what you're saying to us. What we're to take from it, Lord, I have no doubt that this same passage will comfort some and convict others, and that's awesome. I love that your spirit does that, and I love that we can trust that and step out in complete faith that the time we spend in your word today in Sunday school and service and night service, Lord, will bring you honor and glory and will bring us closer to you if we allow it to. 
And I pray that that's our desire. And I pray that's our goal. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have been back in 1 Corinthians for a few weeks now. We have taken the summer off, but now we've made it through chapter 8. We've made it through chapter 9. We're halfway through chapter 10. And yet, for all of those uh, passages, they really all pointed to the same place. They pretty much all point to the fact that, okay, guys, Corinthians, I know you know. Uh, for those of you who weren't here the first day uh, we got back, I had the honor of doing that, and the title of my notes were, Okay, Smart Guy. Now, Glados, I know you weren't here then, but you've heard that phrase before, yes? Is it usually a positive one or a negative one? Right, right. I mean, usually, you know, the idea of, okay, smart guy is someone who is taking a stand on something, and unfortunately, somebody has to put them in their place and say, yeah, but have you seen it this way? And I believe that's what Paul was saying to the Corinthians as they were I don't know if they were taking a stand on eating food against idols. It might have just been a question that they had. Is it okay? Is it not okay? But for us, I mean, that passage made it very clear that, listen, technically you're right, but, and really that's what we've been in. We've been in a bunch of, okay, but, does it benefit, you know, the weaker believer? And then Lenny followed that up with, but, does it help you reach to the unsaved? And then Mike followed that up with, but, you know, with, uh, with Paul saying, I should have every right to be paid and to get what every other minister gets. But look at my life. I don't do those things because I know that they're not going to promote uh, God's calling on my life. And then I came up again with, uh, you play to win the game a couple weeks ago. Right? How Paul talked about there was a race and that we're in this race. You should run. Don't just run it. We're all running it. But run to win. Run to win the prize. Run to play by the rules so that we can get the reward that God wants to give us. So that was two weeks ago. And then last week we started chapter 10, and Mike did it for us. And I don't want to say Paul took a, a bit of a turn, but I, think he, I feel like he did take a bit of a turn. Because in 8 and 9, he was really more saying, okay, guys, I know you know better, but... And then in 10 it became, but don't take that for granted. Mike's points were, um, and Paul was pointing back to the Israelites. And Mike said, we have a common deliverance. We were delivered just like they were, and a common response and a common remedy. Paul kept um, comparing what the Israelites went through and said, hey, they should have known better, right? They all, uh, they all were under the same cloud. They all were baptized into Moses. They all, and yet, verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. So Paul, you know, took a little bit of a, don't just assume that because you know better, it means you're safe, it means you're okay, it means you're where God wants you to be. And that's kind of where I'm going to pick up in verse 14. We're going to look at verses 14 to 22, and then next week, Lord willing, Lenny will be here to wrap up chapter 10. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 14, it says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot participate in the, of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 
Now, I did forget to mention I don't have notes. We're going old school here. People will have to actually turn in their Bibles when I ask them to read a verse. Um, but if you did have the notes, the title of the notes was going to be, Yeah, But. Yeah, But. Now, once again, just like, okay, smart guy, when you hear, yeah, but, there's a certain connotation that comes with it. The person is agreeing with you, but they're not really agreeing with you because of the but. Agreed? And in my life, yeah, but was very rarely a good thing. It was, I wanted to argue something, I wanted to prove my point, and I would say that the Corinthians had a lot of yeah, buts. That all of these chapters were kind of about their yeah, buts. Yeah, but is an idol really anything? Yeah, but does it matter if the food was... Yeah, but aren't we saved by grace? Yeah, but... So the extended title, which wouldn't have fit at the top of the paper, I believe this passage is the yeah, buts for the yeah, buts. I was afraid that would confuse you. But I wish that when I was younger, I had yeah, buts for my yeah, buts. And what that means is, and when you're ready to argue, and you're ready to say, yeah, but... You stop and think to yourself, yeah, but... And you stop and think about the argument that you were about to make and the ramifications of that argument and what could happen. I mean, I had to learn the hard way that winning an argument did not always mean you won. Very bad things could come from a very hollow victory. So when I say, yeah, but, these aren't the Corinthians' yeah, buts. These are Paul's. Paul's kind of been very patient with them in saying, guys, you're right. It's okay to eat to idols. Technically, there's no such thing as an idol. Technically, this food has the same carbohydrates and minerals and nutrients as anything else. Yeah, but, and, and he's had a few. You know, we've already said them. Does it benefit the, the body? Does it be, But in this passage specifically, I believe there are three yeah buts that we have to ask ourselves before we get on a stand with what we would call our yeah buts. So I'm not going to keep saying that. Because after a while, it doesn't even sound like real words. But here we go. Verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved. Now, therefore comes right after verse 12 and 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's what Mike talked about last week. The same remedy. Don't fall into the trap of the Israelites that just thinking, well, we're all under the same cloud. We're all God's people. We're going to be fine. No. No, you have to stay on the straight and narrow, but God will give you what you need to stay there. So verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now he's talking to believers. So why in the world would believers need to flee from idolatry. Now I would argue, again, if you want to say, well, maybe some of them are still whatever. To me, the idolatry here is how close you're willing to get. The focus to me is more on the flea than on the idolatry, I should say. Okay, I, I think we've all heard the analogy, well, maybe not, but I've always loved the analogy of the guy, uh, the, the rich man who wanted to hire a chauffeur. And so he was testing out chauffeurs, and he made them all drive up this big, windy road uh, you know, to see how good a driver they were. And every single driver kept going as fast as they could and as close to the edge as they could because he wanted to show this guy what a great driver they were and how they could handle any circumstance. And he just kept, no, 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 until one guy came along and went nice and slow and careful up the hill 
And he said, that's who I want to hire. I'm not impressed with somebody who shows me how close to the edge they can get. I want somebody who never even bothers good and close to the edge. And that's the first yeah, but that Paul has in verse 14. These people, again, I'm going to paint the Corinthians in a bad light. That's my fault because they might have just been asking a question. But based on, brother, we know the Corinthians were pretty, you know, messed up in a lot of what they did. So on the assumption that they were trying to take a stand, yeah, but I should be allowed to eat this food. And Paul already agreed. Technically, you're right. But flee from idolatry. Why even tiptoe near something that the further away you stay from it, the less chance that it's going to end up becoming a negative impact on you. So that's the first yeah, but for the yeah, but. I should be able to do this. Yeah, but, but what I wrote down, what would have been in your notes is, yeah, but you should know better. Right? That's what he's, he's saying here. He says, flee from idolatry, verse 15. I speak as to sensible people. No, you don't, Paul. <laughs> I've read too much about these Corinthians. These are the people who are approving of somebody sleeping with his stepmom. Okay, but when he says sensible people, he doesn't mean necessarily mature believers who are grounded in their faith as much as they should know better. As believers, they should know better. They shouldn't still be playing these games that, let's be honest, so many of us play. I can't be the only person in here who's always looking for loopholes. Well, I know the Bible says this, but technically if you look at it this way, you know, this is the... Come on! We know better. Why are we constantly trying to drive as close to the edge as we can when it's so much safer to flee from idolatry? It reminds me uh, somewhat of what Pastor read last week. So, sir, if you can get Ephesians 4, read me verses 20 and 21, please. They'll sound familiar as soon as he reads them. He probably doesn't know where I'm going. But as soon as he reads them, he'll understand. This is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught of him as the truth is in but this is not how you learn Christ. Assuming you have learned him, you can talk to me later if you feel that Paul is actually questioning their salvation. I don't think he is at all. As a teacher, I'm, I'm, I'll very, you guys are going to be fine on the test, assuming you studied. I'm not really saying that to the people who didn't study, because the people I'm saying, I'm trying to encourage the people who did. Listen, you studied for this. You're going to be okay. Don't worry. And Paul was saying the same thing. Guys, this isn't what you learned to the Ephesians. I, I really believe that you have learned Christ correctly. And because of that, you do know better. And I believe that's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians here. For as messed up as they were, he could call them sensible people because he really did believe they had the Spirit in them. We, can't, we talked about this uh, two weeks ago. Everyone's running a race. Most of the world is running what's called the rat race. The rest of us are running the race of, that Christ has given us. Or at least we're in the race. We talked about that. Maybe we're not running. Maybe we're not training. Maybe We're all in a race. We're the only ones that can be in that race. So everyone here is technically a sensible person. You're welcome. Don't know the last time someone told you that. But I'll tell you that right now. That as Christians, we're the only ones who can be sensible. But if we're sensible, are we fleeing from idolatry? Are we still using our old man's way of thinking to see how close to the edge we can get? Yeah, but this should be a, Yeah, but technically this isn't wrong. Yeah, but... Or are we... Yeah, but isn't it safer in here? Yeah, but doesn't Scripture warn about doing that? Yeah, but you might not be seeing ramifications from this, but if God's a God of His Word, there's going to be consequences if I don't get my act 
back in place. So that's the first thing that I see here, that Paul isn't telling them to not eat the food sacrificed to idols. I'm going to keep saying that. He's already said, guys, technically, you're right. But instead of saying, yeah, but I should be able to eat this, how about, yeah, but you should know better. Uh, We're not going to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 6.11 is where he reminds the people of, you know, I'll turn there. It's just easier for me to read it. But he says right right before it, um, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Did you turn there? You didn't turn there, did you? Do you know what comes next? See? And such were some of you. Now I get it. That's Pastor Mike. Maybe I'm holding him to a higher standard, but I think a lot of us knew what was coming, right? And thus were some, uh, were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are past tense. Those are done. But those are what are supposed to make us sensible. I got to think anybody who's listening has at least something in their life saying, you're right, I really should stop this. You're right, I really should be doing more of this. You're right, I'm not right. It's not about me being right. If the Spirit's speaking to your heart about certain yeah buts that you've kind of been kicking against the goads, as Paul was doing, you knew you shouldn't be doing it, or you knew you should be doing it, and you had your list of reasons why it was okay. How about your list of reasons why it doesn't matter if it's okay? God doesn't want to hear all the reasons why technically you can do that. No. Great, wonderful, but isn't it so much better to be on the inside? Isn't it so much better to be right where he wants us to be because we're the only ones who can? So that's the first yeah but for the yeah buts. We know better. We do, especially being in this church. I can't say, again, I've been blessed. I've never grown up in a church that didn't preach God's word, but from what I hear... They're out there. And I'm sorry, my Italian sarcasm, but if I'm getting out of bed early on a Sunday morning, it's because I want to hear God's word. I don't want to get, I'd rather sleep than go somewhere and, you know, sing a few songs and shake a few hands and then, no, I want to grow in God's word, but I can't have it both ways. I want to grow in God's word, but I still want to have all those reasons why it's okay to, no. No. If I want to grow in God's word, then I should constantly be striving to kill my yeah buts with the correct yeah buts. Right? To him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I didn't plan on saying that. It just popped into my mind. But it popped into my mind because God's spoken it to my heart so many times. So I should know better. I can't tell any of you. I don't know. I don't know what God's spoken to your heart. But I hope each one of us here have been in God's word enough to say, you're right, John. I tend to argue, I tend to cut corners, I tend to, but I know better. And just let the Spirit take it from there. All right, so that's number one. The number one thing we see in the first two verses is that we know better. Now, my second point is almost the rest of the passage. I'll be honest, I'm going to read almost the rest of the passage, and uh, you'll see how it all relates to the same thing. Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? 
What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and at the table of demons. I will stop there. Okay, so what is Paul saying? There's a few ways we can go with this. But what Paul's saying is, do you realize that you've chosen a side? That when you take communion, you are participating in the blood of Christ. You are participating in the body of Christ. That the Israelites participate in their... Participation is more than just, oh yeah, I was there. you're, You're choosing a side. What I wrote down, mainly because of what's going on around us, the second, yeah, but there's a war going on. And we forget that. I know we forget that. Because if you know there's a war going on, aren't you more likely to be on guard? Aren't you more likely to make sure you, quote unquote, have your armor on? There's no soldier, I guarantee you. I don't even want to talk about the war. That's all we hear about right now. But right now, there is no soldier saying, "Eh, I probably don't need this vest. Oh, I'll probably be good with my helmet. No. They're wearing all their armor now, maybe even more than they need, simply because they know there's a war going on. And oh my goodness, do we forget that? Let's just be honest. We're busy making our excuses why it's okay to do this, and this isn't that big a deal, because we forget that there's a war going on. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, technically eating food to demons, you're, you're right, it's still food, but it's associated with demons. Why would you even want to go down that road? Why would you want to even open that door? How many of us, I'm not even going to try to come up with examples, but you look at things maybe you're struggling with or hopefully past tense struggled with, but that's not where the struggle started. You know, if you have a struggle with your tongue, it's not because you came out of the womb cursing your tongue. You're, you're, you understand? But little by little, this word becomes okay. And then this word becomes okay. And then this word becomes okay. And next thing you know, you're talking like a way you never... The person you were 10 years ago would be disgusted by the person you are now. Does it make you any less saved? No. I mean, again, as we get older, we should be growing in our faith. But in many ways, when I look at the younger generation, and I know when the older generation looked at me, it's humbling sometimes. Because you'll see them take a stand on something that you used to take a stand on, and now, not so much, because is it really that big a deal? It's kind of like we settle into this nice little niche of, well, I, I think I'm good if God has me here. But that, that, that's dangerous. Because that's exactly what Satan wants to do. First uh, Peter 5. Sean, can you give me first? I know we know the verses, but I'd rather hear them. First Peter 5. Eight and nine, please. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Okay, so that second part was obviously important. Resist him, but that first part, he is roaming around like a lion, seeking whom he can devour. Now, I'm sorry, when I think of a lion, I think of, you know, an animal that's just pushing everything out of its way. Uh, I'm going to get what I'm going to get. But we know that Satan's the master deceiver. Satan doesn't try to hit us over the head with something. Um, I guess it was Gianna. I don't know. I was just talking to somebody about this. You know, the whole idea of the best lies are the ones that are most grounded in the truth. Because they're the hardest ones to see. 
And so if you can just get someone to believe this, which is mostly true, oh, it becomes so much easier to get them to believe this, to believe this, and next thing you know, they're believing something that they don't, they don't even know how they got there. But that's how Satan works. And I really believe that we will, I shouldn't even say we, I should say I. You're all responsible for yourself. I. I will be more on guard. I will be more driving towards the inside of the road. I will be more steadfast when I can just remind myself that it's not about what you can technically do and God's not going to be that upset. There's a war. I want to be as prepared for this as possible. Now, again, Paul's not using the analogy of war here, but he's definitely using the analogy of sides. 100%. Otherwise, he's a hypocrite. Because one minute he's saying okay, and the next minute he's saying, I don't want you to participate with demons. Whoa, Paul, all I did was eat a burger. What are you talking about? Paul's saying, no, you don't understand what that can potentially become. The more you eat at that temple, that pagan temple, I mean, I'm sorry. What does the Bible say? John, easy question, so don't overthink it. If I keep eating at the pagan temple, all of them are going to get saved because of me, right? No, much more likely I'm going to start slipping in my faith. I'm going to start. It's just the way it is. Because they're blind. They don't know any better. How can I say this? They're human, we're human, so we have that in common. We are chosen, they're not. We don't have that in common. So the only thing that we have in common is our sinful nature. You understand? (laughs) It's not like, well, they're sinners and we're not, so we can't relate to what they're going through. Oh, no, I can very much relate to their temptations. I can relate to their lusts. I can relate to their excuses. I can relate to all of that. But I should know better. And if I know their sides, and I know there's a war here, why would I want to keep dipping my toe over the side, even in times when Paul says it's okay? I have to keep saying that. Paul was not condemning them for eating that food. He spent multiple chapters reinforcing, guys, I know it's okay. I know it's okay. I know it's technically just meat, but why? Why? Up until now, do you remember what the why was? It was more why that might cause a younger believer to stumble. Why? That might be a bad testimony to unbelievers. Now he's pointing, why? That can hurt you. That can make you wake up and say, wait a minute. I never used to watch this kind of stuff on TV. I never used to use this language. I never used to have this attitude. I, you know, good and angry, right? We did it with the men's group. Pastor talked about it. Boy, now I'm just good and angry. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, why? How did this happen? I thought I'm growing in my faith. Well, you leave little doors open that you don't realize because technically this isn't a big deal. This isn't a big deal. Paul warns them, listen, it, it, it can become a big deal real quick. Okay? DJ? I, even more, I don't know, I, to me, this is the first thing that I would see is that you're condoning what they're doing. And uh, the first thing it does is it makes your walk look, uh, it drowns your walk. It just, you're, now that they look around at you, oh, a hypocrite. Yeah, I, that's where it ends up. I just, I want to be careful because that's where I want to go with it too. But where did it start? With something that Paul said was okay. Like, I want to make sure, because, John, I don't know. I mean, is it that big a deal if I'm watching pornography? I mean, come on. We don't have to have that argument. Is it that big a deal if I lie on my taxes? Like, there's things you know that are wrong, but what about the things that technically aren't? Yeah, they might not be the best thing to do, but technically they're not the, that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul's saying as soon as you start lowering that bar, even if technically it's okay, 
All of a sudden, gravity kicks in, if I can say that that way, and that bar just keeps lowering. <laughs> you don't even realize it now. And now that thing's falling like it's quicksand, and you're like, oh my goodness. You know, thankfully, the Holy Spirit wakes you up and says, wait, you think this is okay? Oh, no, I'm so sorry. I mean, I thought that was okay. I'm not quite sure how I got here. That's what Paul's warning about. If you're going to participate in communion, if you're going to, again, it's not about the bread and the cup, specifically. It's about what those symbolize. Every time, I almost wish today was a communion day. It's okay. But every time you do it, what are you doing? Give me four words. I think you just said it. In remembrance of me, yes? Lord, this is about what you do. I mean, we're, we're aligning ourselves with him, but still kind of not minding if we, you know, dabble on the other side as well. Paul's saying, no, no. Flee from that. I'm going to keep going back to that word. Flee. Can I do it? Yeah, but isn't it okay? Yeah, but why? You know better. And there's a war going on. And we're probably going to finish early, but that's okay, because I rarely do that. My third point is the last verse. Right? Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Again, we know the answer to that. Who in the world would ever want to provoke the Lord to jealousy? Who in the world would ever think that they're stronger than him? Well, to be honest, we do all the time. Because what are you saying when you say, listen, I know this isn't exactly good for me, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah, we're arguing with what God's word says, right? Lean not on your own understanding doesn't mean that your own understanding is always wrong. But it's limited. It doesn't see the big picture, right? We constantly do things in our own understanding and then look back and, oh man, I should have... I don't know, you say you should have known better, but in the moment, you should. the only thing you should have known better is I should have trusted God. I should have stepped out in faith. We're going to talk about that tonight with, with the feasts, with, with Leviticus 23. I should have just stepped out in faith. I should have trusted what God's word said. And it's not just about I should have. We have to. We're commanded to. Because we serve a jealous God. Uh, Danielle, can you find Exodus 20 verse 5? Okay, nice and loud. You shall not bow down to them yeah i mean that's a somewhat i think familiar verse if it isn't then i guess maybe you can turn there if you need to meditate on it but you shall not bow down to them or serve them meaning foreign gods for i the lord your god am a jealous god Visiting iniquity on the third and fourth generations. We've talked about that before. We talked about it when we were there in the night service. It's not God saying, you better do this or I'm coming after your great-grandkids. No. It's God acknowledging, because I'm telling you, you open this door here, it's only going to get worse from here. And it's not that I'm seeking out your third or fourth generations. It's that your third and fourth generations is going to be even further away from me than you are. This is not going to be a one-time event. We serve a jealous God. And as humans, we have a bad association with the word jealousy. We should. I mean, just absorb that for a second. Think about what, je- I'm not going to ask anybody to, to raise a hand or anything, but think about what jealousy means to you. Yes? I wish I had that. This is, in fact, whatever you associate with it. I know we said, we've talked about, I forget when, but you know, that it's good for a husband to be jealous of his wife. That's a, that's a good thing. Or, you know, wife, husband, doesn't matter which way it goes, but they should want your attention. They should want 
your love. It shouldn't bother them when it seems like someone else is getting it. Well, doesn't it make total sense that God would be a jealous God? Yes, sir. I like your explanation of that um, third and fourth generation. Because uh, I think too many people take that as uh, a verse specifically talking about generational curses. Right, like it's punitive. Yeah, and, and I do like the fact of, I mean, obviously there's other examples, but I can think of, you know, intermarrying with Solomon and how far that, you know, just that one person, that divide that it caused and the problem. So, you know, you look at, Yes, one little step away, and again, I mean, we go to the, the you know, pilot thinking about coordinates, just one little coordinate off, it, it sounds like it's very small, but if you think about it, you keep going one off, how far you land, you end off that. Yeah, and of, of everything Sean said there, which is totally correct, the, my favorite part is, you think about it. No, we don't. That's the problem. Right? When we stop and think about it, it really is abundantly clear. You're right. If I, I mean, if I tell my kids that this is a good bar to set, what makes me think they're going to set a higher one? They're going to say, well, if this is good, this should be good. If this is good, this should be Now, everybody's responsible for themselves. I totally get it. But you better believe that I want to be somebody who promotes my, you know, when I leave this earth, I want to be a reason that future Ocho Rosos are closer to God, not further away from God. I don't want God to have to work a miracle in my life to work around all the screw-ups I did. No. So if we think about it, it makes total sense. But God is a jealous God. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is because up until now, it was almost like it was really focused on me in a good way. I should know better because I have the Spirit in me. I should realize that I'm at war. You know, I, I hate to say God doesn't have to enter the equation, but God doesn't even have to enter the equation from a common sense point of view. You understand? But God always has to enter the equation. <laughs> Even with the feasts tonight. Yeah, feasts were to celebrate, but every single one of them is called a feast of the Lord. You know, so if you're celebrating and God's not at the center of it, something's wrong. If we're trying to grow in our Christian life, you're right, John, I should know better, I'm going to do better. You're right, John, there's a war, I should be more. But that's not centered around the glory that it should give God, the honor that it should give God. You know, how many people, let's see, we'll, we'll play a game here, see who can sue, see if you can finish my thought. <laughs> A lot of people try to obey God so that yeah, because I want God to bless me here and I want God to do this and I want God no, that I meant it really is about you it's about you again, I don't want to give my whole sermon away tonight but you know, there was a feast that took place before the harvest ever happened and that was very common all the pagan, God, pagan people did that but they did that because they wanted their God to bless them they were afraid if they didn't do a sacrifice at the beginning, their God would curse them and not... No. That's not what the Israelites did. The Israelites offered their first fruits up to God because they knew. They knew that God loved them. They knew that anything that came from here was from God. It wasn't trying to increase their odds of getting good crops. No. It was, Lord, we know that you're going to bless us because you've promised to bless us. And we're going to step out in faith and offer up to you the first of those blessings which is Christ, by the way. Christ is our first fruits. He is a promise of greater things to come, that, that what God did through him is going to benefit us for eternity. So, yes, we serve a jealous God, but that is to our benefit. Imagine if God wasn't jealous. Right? If God was up in heaven saying, listen, God, I don't care what you do. I mean, with, oh, good, now I can go do anything. We've got a whole world of people doing anything. And trust me, that's not the route you want to take. We should be thankful that we serve a jealous God. 
A jealous God is a God who protects. Good, protects. Hebrews, anybody with me? A God who, what does he do for everyone he loves? Disciplines. He disciplines them, right? And what is discipline not in the moment? Pleasure. Yeah, I might not enjoy it in the moment, but isn't it for my best interest? So when Paul says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Yes, he means it in a negative way. But also in a positive way, we serve a jealous God. So if he has to, he's going to do what he has to do to get us to realize that we should know better and that there's a war going on. But let's not put him in that position. Let's do that. Let's live like we know better. Let's live like we know that there is a war going on. Let's live like we know that we serve a jealous God whose jealousy, uh, in the men's group yesterday, we said that it's God's anger that actually... I don't want to say this. God was so angry at sin that he offered up his son so that we could be saved from it. You understand? Like every attribute of God, his anger, his jealousy, it doesn't matter. It all points towards his love for us. We benefit from every one of his attributes. So even the jealousy here, I'm thankful I serve a jealous God, but I don't want to make him jealous. And I can say that sentence, right? Those two seemingly contradictory thoughts. I hope you realize they go together. He's jealous, but I don't want to make him jealous. Right? He's jealous because he loves me, because he wants my attention. But if I give him what he wants, I'm not provoking him to jealousy and to having to do something. Again, what does he say in Amos? I gave you drought. I gave you famine. I gave you blight. I gave you all these things, but you still didn't return to me. Of course I didn't return to you. You did all those things to me. No, you made me do all those things to you. If you had just stayed with me, yeah, but no, no. Just let's live according to scripture. Um, we can finish with Acts 17.11. Uh, Jake, can you give me Acts 17.11? Okay? And if you want, you can take uh, Thessalonica out of it and put BBC in if you want. It's up to you. Or you can just read it the way it's written. I don't know. Yes. These were more fair-minded than those oh. in Thessalonica. Yeah, I said that wrong. Good. Read Thessalonica. <laughs> Right? A church that went into God's word. I know there's the Bereans, right? But people that were praised for going into God's word, making sure we know what it says, making sure we know, so that our yeah buts are positive ones. There is such a thing as good yeah buts. They're the ones that shut us up when we shouldn't say something. They're the ones that stop us from doing what we know we shouldn't do, but in the moment we want to do them. In the end, that's the Holy Spirit, of course. But it's the Holy Spirit giving us yeah buts for our human yeah buts. And it's up to us which ones we listen to. Easier said than done. You better believe I'm going to pray and then I'm going to go out there and struggle with it with the rest of you. But there's no denying, at least to me, that that's what God is telling us here. We should know better. There's a war going on. And God's watching. We have a jealous God, which is a beautiful thing and a scary thing, depending on how we choose to provoke him. Any closing thoughts? All right, let's pray. Lord, I do thank you. A short passage, but oh, one that, again, you chose us to not do this on communion. This would have been a great communion passage as well, but we don't have communion with you once a month, Lord. We're to always be in communion with you. We are to always participate in your things. And, Lord, well, I don't know, a lot of people in here, a wide spectrum of how much we try to participate with you as well as with the world but we all struggle with it at some point Lord because we're human 
we all have that desire to lower the bar, that desire to rationalize, that desire especially if we can have a verse to back us up. Lord, I'm sorry when we use scripture for our own agenda. And we don't even mean, we don't even realize it half the time, Lord. We're just so wired with pride, so wired with wanting our own way that I won't even say Satan deceives us, Lord. I truly believe we deceive ourselves. Your, your word says that, that we can deceive ourselves. So, Lord, please help me say this right. You know my heart. If we're going to lower the bar, Lord, help, help us to do it very defiantly, very rebelliously, very aware that we're doing it and we don't care. Of course, I don't want that. But even more scary is when we do it and we don't even realize we're doing it. Lord, reveal to us the areas that you want us to sanctify, the areas where all things are lawful but not all things edify. Lord, that needs to mean something to us. We need to get away from the all things are lawful and focus on the what edifies, what edifies others, what edifies our own Christian walk. Lord, please, I don't even have to say please help us. I know you've given us a spirit to help us. I just pray we listen. I pray we help each other. Lord, that we lovingly come alongside each other in whatever areas we need help and, and that we be the body that you created us to be. But I thank you. I thank you for this passage, Lord, because the way you made me, uh, I'm, I'm just wired to find loopholes. Lord, and the fact that Paul admits that technically they're right and yet shows so many reasons why that just isn't what's important, I thank you. I know, Lord, over... 50 years, you've certainly uh, used thoughts like that to, to break me, to help me see you instead of seeing myself. I pray that for everyone in here, Lord. Just, we want this body to honor you. We want it to serve its purpose. We don't want it to be any of the churches in Revelation that needed any kind of warning. Lord, we just want to do what you called us to do. We want to be Philippians. We want to be people who just keep growing in our faith and who just keep... Uh, that you began a good work in us and that you'll continue to do it until you take us home or until your son comes. Once again, we pray for the Lucci family, Lord, along with everyone else. Um, we all need prayer. We all need your hand. And we know it's there whether we ask for it or not, but we ask for it humbly, knowing that you're the only person that can provide what we need. Thank you. Thank you for what you've laid on Pastor's heart. We look forward to the sermon to come. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.